Howdy, y'all. Once again, this episode of South of Scruffy Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Cosmetic. Cosmetic is an industry leader in CBD-infused skincare products. Cosmetic CBD-infused hemp pain cream eases aches, pains, and inflammation in muscles and joints via Cosmetic's proprietary CBD solution. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, Medicated.com, and use promo code SOS20 at checkout for 20% off of your entire order. All right. Podcasting now. Welcome into SOS Podcast, people. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. You made it. Have you been here before? First timer on our hands here? SOS Podcast is where I bring in my favorite artists, entertainers, roustabouts, and ne'er-do-wells for a proper lip wag. That is a, uh, a chat, a long talk for those of you playing at home. And today I have one of those talented people here with me. I've got Jess Maples here today in the shop. Uh, Jess is a photo gal, a photographer. Lots of concert work, lots of street photography. It's really breathtaking stuff. I dig it. I've been digging on it for a long time. Jess also did some work uh, at an orphanage in Africa for about a year and a half or so that we that became part of our chat here, and that was fascinating, although parts of it were a little bit hard to hear. So uh, brace yourself, in fact, because it, uh, it gets real there for a second. But uh, also, with, the, with all the kids going back to school around this time, uh, Jess and I decided to do a little dual giveaway and uh, give away uh, a somewhat child-themed, but not really, a print of one of Jess's photos on aluminum. It's pretty sweet. It's 11 by 17. It's awesome. And uh, with that print, uh, we're also giving away a South of Scruffy Podcast kids t-shirt or onesie, whatever you want, whatever you want to wear. Uh, those all came from Nothing Too Fancy, so those are pretty sweet. You know they're good if they came from that place. Check out uh, Jess's Instagram, Jess Maples Photo, and check out ours uh, south of, at South of Scruffy uh, to get in on that giveaway. Uh, also, those of you following along, uh, this weekend is the Knoxville Carp Invitational, uh, where I will be facing off against some of uh, Knoxville's best fly anglers to see who can catch a combination of the five largest carp on a fly rod. And uh, this will also be the culmination of the fly fishing film that we have been shooting in the U.S. this year. Uh, you remember we shot that one in Colombia back in May, uh, South America. But this is our U.S. version that we'll be touring around in 2022. So uh, wish me luck as I go out and uh, compete against the best of the best in town. I've been uh, working pretty hard to figure out the craft of carp fishing with a fly rod. And I'm hoping that it pays off this weekend. I'll report back next week. All right. Well, here's my chat with the talented Jess Maples. Enjoy it. We're doing the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me here. You know, it's funny when I saw you starting this, uh, I said to myself, I was like, man, one day I just hope that I'm cool enough to be on Ben's podcast. Oh, come on. <laughs> and, and here we are. Look at you now. Little secret is I uh, I talk to my wife about it every now and then. I'm like, who should I have on the podcast next? Who should I who should I put in the hopper? And she mentioned you a little while ago. I was like, okay, okay, it's funny. Well, it's a good time because you just started your own photography business and some other 
I mean, you've been doing that for a while, been doing really awesome work. But oh, like, what's you're sweet the, to me. <laughs> well, what's the new? What's the new deal? Yeah, so I guess I I probably heard some really bad business advice. <laughs> what do you mean? And somebody told me that you can only make fifteen hundred dollars a year as a freelancer. That's so ridiculous. I, so I th- well, you can do that in a day. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, I guess. I can only work for free, work for exposure, and have to have a part-time job somewhere yeah, else. that's terrible advice. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty embarrassed that it took me like three years to figure, <laughs> to, really? to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had, yeah, I had this. I had a meeting with you know a lawyer and a consultant, and I was like, all right. I'm ready to officially have a business. And they said, <laughs> they said, well, how much money do you plan on making this year? And I told them, they said, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. Call call us back when you're, you know, making a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, I guess I'll just jump right into this. Well, wh- so what's the what's the crux of it? Like, what's your what's your main focus? Yeah. With your photography work? Because I've seen a bunch of your stuff. I've been to a bunch of your art shows or a uh, couple of them anyway, I think. Yeah. And your stuff's great. Oh, well, thank you. You're well, kind to say that. So, and, and you actually brought a print too, I did. that I that I saw that is really awesome. Yes. That I think we're going to give away. Yes, I'm yeah. super excited for that. And the yeah. lucky listener. <laughs> <laughs> but but what is the what's the what's the deal with the new the new photography project? Yeah, and the, new, the new business. Yeah, so you know it, it's kind of a funny story too because I. You know, I'll do freelance graphic design here and there or do photography here and there. And (laughs) I got an email that some business cards I had ordered and had a problem with, you know, over a year ago um, at Vistaprint. They emailed me and said, your promotional credit is expiring in two days. And I said, well, I got to get on that. I got to, you know, I got to use this for some new business cards. So I started thinking, okay, well, I guess this is how I'm going to start my business. (laughs) From a from a so, mass email from Vistaprint, you were like, yeah, yeah I'm going to do I it. I was like, well, I got to, you know, I know I'm going to start a business eventually and I might as well get some free business cards out of it. Right. So <laughs> so I sat down and, you know, I was in Canva and I was like, all right, I got to design a business card. What's my business going to be called? And I thought to myself, you know, I picked a couple options and then settled on 5-2 Studio because one, it rhymes and that sounds good five two studio yeah and then two i'm five foot two so (laughs) wait how does it rhyme i don't i don't get how it rhymes five two studio Studio. (laughs) it rhymes in my brain all right just just leave me alone (laughs) but yeah so i had this credit from vista print and i said well all right i'm gonna create a business and then as I was filling it out, you know, there's an option for your website. And I was like, well, I guess I should go buy a website. <laughs> so, Got a domain, figured yeah. it out. Oh, yeah. But so, it had been in the making for a while. Like you've been taking true. photos and, and doing the visual arts thing for a while. Yeah. I've really enjoyed, um, you know, just going out and documenting Knoxville. I'm a part of this secret but not so secret photo group called the League of Scruffy Photographers. And we've done some photo shows together, you know, at the Emporium or different places around town. And so I've gotten involved with them and I've done um, a couple of art shows locally. And then I've also done, I've done two in Nashville and one in New York City, just selling prints and stuff. And 
Yeah. And, you know, I once I really decided to jump, you know, with both feet into this business, into this yeah. world, then, then it's been taken off. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what are the shows like? Like the two in Nashville, yeah. what's that like? Yeah. So it's it's more of a group show, but it's, you know, it's a complete experience. So when you're a guest, you walk in, there's probably 30 booths. All right. So you've got, you've also got musicians coming on playing. There's film that's being, uh, being shown. You have dancers. So it's like an arts making, bazaar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a one night art conference pretty much. So super cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And that, that's kind of when I started taking photography more seriously because I've always had a camera in my hand whether I picked one up or you know family members gave it to me hey here take a take a group a group photo of us (laughs) I was like okay when when did you start doing the photo thing for for real or just I don't know like even for for fun fun, yeah or when when did you start to see that you had some aptitude for it or you were actually starting to see some stuff out of the camera that you felt good about I mean honestly when I I was ha- I had Kodak disposable cameras at three years old. So really? I mean, I remember looking back at pictures I took. You know, half of them have my finger in them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I grew up. You know, I'm 28 years old. So as I grew up, the technology was growing up too. So sure. I, every time a new kind of camera, a new way to shoot came out, then there I was doing it. And I think I don't really think I believed in myself or I knew, you know, I knew I knew more than the average person, but I never thought that there was any kind of potential with my work and my eye until my first art show in Nashville when someone reached out to me on social media and said, hey, your stuff is great. Come showcase it. And I said, what? Like, <laughs> that's that's when you realize, like, okay, yeah, I can, my my stuff is good. I was like, oh, I mean, I've been taking pictures a while. I guess that's cool. <laughs> what about the New York show? What was that about? Yeah, New York was. I think I read about that amazing. in the paper or something. It was it was amazing. Um, it was with the same company, and the thing you get to do is, if you have, it's called a raw artist showcase. So if you do the showcase, and you know, you meet all this criteria at your showcase in one city, then you get to do another show without having to stress about ticket sales or any of that stuff for free. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just go big. I'm going to New York City. Let's do this. (laughs) And I went and it was the most incredible experience. You know, to me, New York City was in the movies. New York City was Never, this far away place that I could never adventure had you, to. Had you been there before? Mm-mm. So the first time you went, it was as well, a working I, artist. Actually, that's not true. I went because I won a surprise trip a couple months previously. <laughs> oh, what was that? What do you mean you won a surprise I, trip? I won a surprise trip. So JetBlue Airlines was having this contest. Okay. I, I've and heard that JetBlue is awesome. Yes. Is that true? I, I love them. Really? They were they were so kind to me. Yeah. <laughs> they had this contest where you just answered four philanthropic questions and based on your answers, you were um I think 50 people out of 40,000 applicants were selected to go on an all expenses paid volunteer trip. But the thing was they didn't tell us where we were going until we got to the airport at 6 a.m. that morning. That's so, scary. Yeah, I had no well, idea have, what to pack. Like, 
so, so, so JetBlue tells you they're taking you somewhere and you show yeah. up with a carry-on bag full of clothes and a camera. Yeah. And they're like, here's where we're going? Yeah. That's how that went? Yeah. And I got to bring a friend and the only person that like I knew I trusted enough and that could take that time off with another freelancer I knew. But what was funny about that was this this was the second time I had ever met this person. And really? I said, hey, you want to drive 12 hours to New York City, get on a plane, volunteer somewhere um, out of the country, and I can't tell you where we're going. Really? How's that sound? Yeah. That's what I said to her. And she said, all right, sure, let's go. Well, so what happened? How, how, did, it, how did it start? You go to the, you get in the car and you drive to New York? Mm-hmm. So we drove to New York. And then we stayed in the hotel that night and we show up at the airport at 6 a.m., open an envelope, and it says we're going to the Dominican Republic. This so, is like The Bachelor or something, like yeah. just like total reality show. <laughs> yeah. Did they have cameras and stuff? Were they filming this? So, I mean, For yes, their social? Yes and no. I okay. mean, there were a ton of people filming, and it seems like most of the people that were picked had some kind of aptitude for photography. Yeah. But- me being the person that I am, I was more excited to volunteer. So I, I had my camera, but I wasn't out taking pictures, you know, of every single so thing. So it was under the guise of philanthropy or under the guise of like helping and helping in some way? Yeah, it was more of a um, volunteerism. So mm. we went, we volunteered for, you know, a couple hours every day and then went swimming and the ocean and the pools and yeah. and all the things. <laughs> Wait, so you went to the Dominican Republic after you got to after you got to New York? Yes. So okay. I went to the Dominican Republic so say, for a couple of days. Bring your passport, show up, we'll tell you yeah, where you're going. Yeah. This is this is the temperature uh, uh and then bring these the are right the clothes, clothes to bring, yeah, and then we went. Okay. Uh, what what happened in the DR? Oh, it, it was a lot of fun. Was we it? we did all kinds of different, you know, volunteering um, projects and we painted some walls for a school we played with kids you know the the normal volunteer things (laughs) Uh, made some friends for a lifetime and that's cool and when I came back to New York City we uh, my friend and I we stayed for a couple of days later so you know I really got to experience New York City and the first time I saw the Manhattan skyline of course I dramatically fell to the ground, started crying. Really? It was a big thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a whole thing. Where did you stay when you were there? Do you remember? <laughs> we were just at a hotel in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn? Yeah. Take the so, subway in? Take the L train into oh town? Oh, gosh. I loved it. I, I would If I didn't have dogs, I would go back in a heartbeat. <laughs> but my dogs are my dogs are spoiled. My dogs need yard. <laughs> they need you at home? Yeah. yeah. They, just, they just need a yard to ride I actually in. have a buddy. JT, who, uh, uh, who, who's a, g- a good friend. And he, uh, he lived in Manhattan for, I don't know, the better part of 10 years. And nobody ever believed me when I told him because we went to his house and he had a backyard. Like mm-hmm. he lived with four other dudes in a, in a Manhattan <laughs> flat, like on 29th street. Yeah. But he had a backyard. I was oh like, my gosh. does it, does anybody, and I would go visit other friends in New York that, uh, while I was out there visiting him and I was telling him about his place. And they were like, stop backyard. <laughs> it's like, yes, with a fence and like, yeah. In the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they were like, was it central park? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Central park takes up like a quarter of that Island too, which is kind of oh, crazy. Yeah. Not, not a quarter, but it's a huge spot. Yeah. Did you go there? Oh, yeah. I totally got lost in there. <laughs> I thought 
you know, I tried to go to all of these places when I was up in New York City, you know, that I'd either seen on TV or I knew shows were filmed in. And I went to Central Park expecting to, you know, just like a park park. park here. You know, you could see the beginning and the end. You don't realize it's 40 blocks tall or whatever. (laughs) So I'm wearing my tennis shoes, you know, just sweating. (laughs) I was like, I was not, I was not prepared for this. Weren't ready for it? No. But what about your show? So you go back to yeah. New York at some point. Yes. So I fell in love with the city then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had this opportunity to do an art showcase for free up there. So I went and I went for a week, actually. And I was so homesick. You really? know, as much as I talk about, yeah, I would love to move there. I love the big city. Oh, I cried. Really? <laughs> I was so, you know, being in a big city by yourself for a whole week, you know, it, it kind of, it takes a toll on you. And, um, and that's something what, I think that's something that's really special about Knoxville is, you know, Knoxville can be, you can have that, that experience of the newness of a downtown or the creative aspect, um, for the photography and the art scene in Knoxville without having to go to a big city, you know, without having to move to Nashville. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it's cool. I think Will Wright said it's as it's as uh, small of a city or as big of a town as you yeah. want it to be. You mm-hmm. can kind of choose your own adventure yeah. a little bit, right? Uh, but we got the we got the art scene. We got the people doing stuff like yourself that right. that are that are like that are making moves on a on a level. Yes, that's real. <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, and I've said since the beginning of the pandemic, I said when you know, when all of this is over, when it's safe to come out of our houses and (laughs) all of that, the art scene is going to explode. There is going to be a modern day renaissance. And I think we're seeing that just with how busy I've been in the music scene, taking pictures at shows and going to live music, you know, almost every night with, you know, just, I I think that Knoxville has something really special and it's really easy to say, oh, well, why don't you take your business to a big city like Nashville? Or why don't you uh, move to Nashville and play shows? You know, a lot of musicians think like that. But there's just there is a spirit of connective or connection and community here in Knoxville that you can't get in Nashville. Yeah. And, and there's also a lot to be said with like relationship capital. Like, mm-hmm. you know, people here. You know the scene. You've got mm-hmm. your you've got your, you know, finger on the pulse a little bit. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like mm-hmm. if I were to relocate somewhere else, I would lose my uh, my biggest, you know, my biggest plus. Right. Which is knowing people mm-hmm. and and being familiar with what's going on. Right. And so I think there's a lot to be said with with being in a place where you're where you're familiar with what's happening and know how to appropriately uh, inject yourself into what's happening. <laughs> right. Because you don't have to like if you move to Nashville, you gotta first off identify what's going mm-hmm. on. And then you have to somehow, you know, fight and claw your way into right into it. But when you're in mm-hmm. a place where you where you know people, you know, every, everybody in town's two phone calls away from mm-hmm. you, you know? Oh, for sure. And I've been so blessed with my clients. Uh I think all of them except for one, you know, I've known from a previous either work experience or, you know, old church connections or um, just other extracurricular activities. Well, so what what is your photography stuff right now? Like mostly music stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll do, you know, some some headshots or some branding, um, but what I'm really... Stuff to try- pay the bills. Yeah. yeah, so I'm trying to move, or not trying, I am moving in the direction of concert photography, you know, helping artists create press kits with just, you know, a couple headshots and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I would love to move further into the album art mm. space. Uh, I've had a couple of my photos used on some album art so oh cool that, that's really cool you know yeah. go on the go on the alexa and <laughs> you ask and him to pull up that song you're like i took that picture really <laughs> yeah anybody we know i'll have to show you yeah. there i mean there's there's one local artist named dd brogan and then uh, one who used to be in nashville but now she's out in california named phoebe elliott um so that's pretty cool but yeah i would love to move further into that space of album art. Uh, my business eventually is going to also do wedding photography. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, cool. I'm, I'm so stoked yeah. that I finally got up the courage to do this. <laughs> yeah. And build something and you have people working yeah. with you too, right? Yeah. Like you've got other yeah, photographers. I'm doing my first, uh, my first two contractors. Um, I'm, I'm signing them on this week. So nice. I'm really excited about well, that we've got some good concert photographers around here too mm-hmm. a couple that come to mind andy fell you mm-hmm. lock and key yes uh, co-founder yes has a really awesome project going on right now on instagram he's mm-hmm. releasing a photo every day from yeah. uh, a concert photo yeah and just because of the access that uh, that they've had over the years with Lock and Key shooting, mm-hmm. you know, uh, festival stuff and mm-hmm. all that. He's always had a still camera with him. Right. And he's taken some amazing photos of some most amazing artists. Mm-hmm. And he's putting out a good one every single day. <laughs> uh, Bill Foster's the other one. Mm-hmm. He's he's uh, also been on the show, but he uh, he's got some good stuff from over the years from shooting with blank newspaper mm-hmm. and and all that. So there's yeah. like there's some really talented. Mm-hmm concert photographers oh for uh, sure right and, right here and i think too there is space for more well i think there's space for yeah. women too in that there you go in that opportunity sure. you know well, t- well tell me this like how much of that concert photography business and that like bringing the artistry to the table mm-hmm. how, how much of it is just having the access and being in the right place at the right time. And then mm-hmm. how much of it is actually uh, laying your artistry over that access mm-hmm. and actually making something different, whether it's putting the camera in a different place, mm-hmm. seeing something from a different point of view. Like yeah. how does that, how does that all, how does that all shake out? Yeah. So I think there are two main facets of the kind of concert photography that I do that, is different from, you know, your average Joe photographer that's been doing this for such a long time. One is I am five two. So I've got a completely different perspective. <laughs> you know, I see people a whole foot different than, sure. than your average person. Yeah. And two, I'm I'm so new to it. You know, I don't mm. have bad habits of, you know, just doing this over and over and over again. Uh I mean, I've been, I've been trying to get into this space very steadily for the last three to four years. So the fact that I've made it this far and <laughs> haven't given up along the way is, 
it just, I don't know. It just, I feel like I have a different perspective of it because I've put in so much work over the last couple of years to get mm. here. Yeah. It's not like you're, you're jaded, a right. jaded because you've been doing it forever mm-hmm. or B you started doing something else and concert photography was where you landed. It's not like a, it's not like you missed the mark with what you were trying to do. So it doesn't feel like it's a Mm -hmm. second fiddle type deal. Yeah. I mean, if you, I don't know if you talk to anybody and you ask them what their dream job is, you know, people will kind of think about it for a little bit or say something that, you know, in their mind isn't tangible. And for me, concert photography, festival photography, that, that is my dream job. So mm. I'm <clears throat> I'm so excited to be here to find out at such a young age what my passion is, that I can do it really well and chase after it, you know. Yeah, um, it, it's it's really special to be able to be self-aware while you're in the middle mm-hmm. of your dream job. Right. You know? Yeah. And not and not um wishing you were somewhere else while you're mm-hmm. doing it. You're grateful to have the opportunity. Yeah. And you feel like you're doing meaningful work. Oh, for sure. And I'm not I'm not just a photographer that's trying to get in a show for free. You know, I'm there because I am so passionate about capturing. I mean, this moment, you know, when you're watching a show, this moment's never going to happen again. That's right. why you know, there's so many, you know, young people and old people in the audience that have their cell phones up right. and showing everything. So is there a threat to what you do because because everybody does have a camera and the cameras are getting better and better? Like what how do you how do you stay ahead of the dude in the front row who happens to have an iPhone twelve plus plus plus? Yeah. With portrait mode. You uh, know? Yeah. So I, th- I don't really think of it as a threat. I think of it more as a threat as I might lose my cool in front of them <laughs> and say, hey, put that shit away because I'm here. This is my dream job and you are ruining my photo. You're in my Put friend. that away. So yeah. that's my. <laughs> so, that's- so that's how they threaten you. <laughs> yeah. So I I will be very I'm a very kind, humble, sweet person. But when it comes to ruining my shot at my dream job, then <laughs> no, I'm just All kidding. bets are off. Oh, yeah. That's funny. But, I mean, when- another thing that I think separates me from, you know, just, you know, your average concert photographer, too, is that, you know, in order to get that that photo pit access, you know, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of connections and you know, just starting out, you don't always have that. So a lot of the time, if I can get in, I don't get that, that photo pit clearance. So my first music festival, what I did was I, I rented this humongous lens, like a 100 to 400 (laughs) for my Sony. And I was fighting through the crowd, you know, being five, two, holding my hands all the way up, turning my flippy screen down, just looking up, hoping that I could get some great shots and yeah. some some of my best shots were those from the crowd. Yeah. Well, long so. lenses are real pretty. Oh yeah. They're real pricey too. <laughs> yeah, sure. A lot of glass in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when you're when you're shooting concert stuff, isn't there like um like they let the press in for like two songs and then they make you yeah. leave? Is that how it goes a lot of times? Yeah. That way they don't have people hanging around in front of the stage just mm-hmm. taking pictures all the time? Yeah. I mean, it completely depends on the venue, depends on the band or artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the standard 
that I've experienced is either the first three songs, first 15 minutes, mm. which adds a complete ele- different element to photography. Was you know? it like a feeding frenzy down there? Like every photographer from every paper is trying to get the shot oh, the yeah. whole time? Oh, yeah. Is it competitive it. in the pit? A little bit. I mean, you know, in Knoxville, I wouldn't say as much, but definitely, you know, at big festivals mm-hmm. and, you know, just, yeah, because, you know, when you're so short, you know, if you've got a great shot, everybody around you can see this. So yeah. then I turn around and I've got you know, three different cameras, one over my head, one over my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> um, Poaching your shot. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what the hell, man? Come yeah. on. <laughs> this was mine. But like, but, you, you also do some social media stuff too, or you have in the past. Is yeah. that going to be part of your new new endeavor too? Yeah. Social media is, you know, I think I will probably be the only social media business owner that tells you it's a love-hate relationship. Really? You know, I think. You think you're I the think, only one? Because I feel like everybody feels that way about social media in general. I, I think so. But I <laughs> I don't know of any business owner that says, yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with the thing I do for work. <laughs> you know, that's a great way they to get fired or for your clients else. to leave you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I think that helps my business because it's like, look, I understand social media. You I realize it's a necessary evil. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I also understand the good that can come from it. Mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, the awareness, the advocacy that can come from it, the connections that can come from it. So I know you hate it because trust me, sometimes I do too, which is why I want to help you, you know, get your message, get your content, whatever it is that you are needing, get that out there so that you don't have to stress about it. Yeah, that's I'll take on the stress for you. (laughs) That's huge. That's a huge value to people who that's a huge value for every business. People don't want to take good photos because Mm It's hard. Mm-hmm. It sucks. They don't want to figure out how to do it themselves. Yeah. They don't want to manage their own social media because mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. It sucks. If they could turn a key and do it, they would. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me like the problem that you're kind of solving. Yeah. I mean, that's. Do you feel comfortable in that space? I do. You know, I, I've always been somebody who wants to help other people. And especially if it's something that I'm naturally gifted or talented at. Um, you know, a lot of my life, people were saying, oh, you're so talented at photography. You're so talented at this and this and this. And I just took it like, all right, cool. I mean, thanks for saying that. But I think what has happened this year is my biggest issue is when people tell me I'm talented at something and then I try it and I don't immediately do it well or do it right, then I'll just give up and not really try at all. But I think this year I've had this mindset shift of, yes, I'm talented at what I do. And I'm, you know, I know myself (laughs) enough to say, to be able to say that confidently. Be able to objectively. Yes. Be able to say that. Yes. But I'm also a hard worker. And by being a hard worker, that means, you know, even with, if it's a really rough day with social media or the whole world is on fire or exploding or, you know, whatever. Um, by being able to be a hard worker and genuinely care about my clients mm. and the work that I do for them and my relationship with them, I think that can excel the partnerships, you know, not just in what I do, but with any mm. kind of business. Yeah. 
Well, you did like the the uh, Rene Hoyos campaign, right? I did. So, yes. so you were. What was your What was your gig on that? Yeah, I was. I was the social media manager for that, and I started for out the campaign for the campaign. And yes. she was. Is it running for Congress? Running for mm-hmm. Congress for state Congress. Uh. But like federal Congress. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. the real Congress. The real, the the real, real Congress. Congress. Yeah. For, a, for a seat in the House? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for a yeah, House Yeah, against seat. Tim Burchett, yes. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So, yeah, that was my, my first campaign. Um, you know, I started out part-time, and that was right at the beginning of the pandemic, and then the pandemic hit. And as, you know, the events of 2020 unfolded, I started working more and more and more to help, yeah. you know, fill that gap. So you're trying to populate her social media channels for the campaign, mm-hmm. engage her with her constituency, mm-hmm. get more votes. Yeah, on essentially. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And then the climate changes. Yeah. With the pandemic. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. The whole yeah. world was literally on fire at, you know, different points during 2020. So, you know, I've always said that if you did anything social media related during 2020, you know, during an election year, during a global pandemic and civil unrest, then you can do anything. Wow. Because it was, you know, it was a lot to process as an individual. It was a lot to process as, you know, as a social media manager, as, you know, our communities. Um, I I assume that it starts off innocently enough, like, hey, we're trying to go out there and, and <laughs> you know, spread the message and, and get, and, and get help people, uh, by, you know, advocating for them with an elected official who aligns with the way that they feel. Mm-hmm. And then a pandemic hits and mm-hmm. that becomes politicized. Yep. And then did the George Floyd stuff happen when you were there too? Oh yeah. And that gets politicized, yep. right? Yep. So now it's, it's, it's no longer this like walk in the park. <laughs> anymore seemingly (laughs) it seems like you're fighting a bit of a two-front war uh where where every step that you make is uh because everybody's at home looking at their phones Mm -hmm. every step that you make is scrutinized Mm -hmm. in a heavy duty way yep so did your did you know running that social media campaign for that political (laughs) campaign did that did the implications change along the way you mean like what our goals were? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did the target move? I th- I think yes and no. You know, our our target was more of, hey, this is a great East Tennessee candidate. And I think it shifted from, oh, my gosh, everything that this, per- this competitor, this uh, other person is doing, you know, is – completely changing the way we're looking at this. Everything that is happening in the world is changing. So there, it was just a constant battle of, you know, just trying to get your bearings, just trying to, you know, make the world stop spinning a little bit and yeah, changing so, what you do with it. So did, did, did you guys focus have to change throughout that process? Oh, totally. Really? Totally. Yeah. It, it became less about, I guess the issues that you started with talking about on social media. And then it became Mm -hmm. more about issues that were, that sprung up last week that you didn't know were going to be issues. Yeah. I mean, too, I think, I think all of the core values were always there. You know, it was more of just a changing in 
messaging of, hey, we were going to go this route because, you know, end goal is for people to understand this candidate Mm -hmm. versus, wow, there was a lot happening Mm -hmm. and people have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. So we need to, one, be there and support our community. And two, we need to show them that there is a candidate who will support them as well. Wow. So, so was it was it a fairly reactionary climate then? Were you, were you trying to figure stuff out on the fly? Or oh yeah, really? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I feel like that tells you they weren't trying to figure anything out on the fly last year. It's just lying to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like those were the people that were in the toughest position as people who were in the public eye who who were uh, beholden to people to come out with a stance. Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And then so you have to decide on something, yeah. decide on your stance in fairly short order, yeah. e- even shorter than usual. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even just about, you know, the candidate deciding their stance, because I think pretty quickly they knew where they fell, you know, on the political was it, spectrum. With was it, it just but because it was, of party lines, though? I think some of it was and some of it was more of. I'm trying to think of the words for it. I think some of it was more focused on, okay, we know how as a team we feel about whatever is happening. What is the best way to communicate this without, you know, seeming like we're being pressured into post Mm. a statement about it or like we want people to know where we stand, you know, on this topic, but we also want to do it in a genuine way. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't the person that wanted to just throw my candidate out there and say, hey, go go tell everybody this, this, this and this. You know, that's not that's not what my goal was. My goal was for through the social media for people to understand the human that was the candidate, the human that the humans that were behind the campaign and genuinely care for the humans in this town. Hmm. And that was I mean, that. We did that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what my goal was as the social media manager. And I think we did that. I mean, even though my candidate didn't win or didn't get elected, whatever, you know, lingo, you however you want to say it. I think that that campaign set a lot of groundwork for future campaigns Mm. that, you know, some at one point I had 12 different interns and a couple of volunteers. So I think that really gave them experience in the social media world, whether they do something with that Mm. politically or not. Right. So, so I wonder then because it was a tough seat that she was running for, right? Yeah. Like it was going to be, it was going to be a big upset if she would have won it. Right. Probably a tough one in a, in a, in a red state in, you know, like Tennessee is. Well, I mean, Uh, we've never, I mean, this area has never had a Democrat in Congress. Uh, so it's like in the, the Civil house, War. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in in her seat, yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what you said about it, like laying some groundwork, like that—that mm-hmm. that seems to me like that is part of it as well. So even if you're fighting mm-hmm. a battle that you are more than likely going to lose, <laughs> yeah, what she did do and what you guys did do as a team mm-hmm. is create this infrastructure of people. Mm-hmm. Um, to where the next time this comes around, it's kind of already in place. It's already happened. Yeah. You're not having to build it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that part of the hope 
of 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 this when you're when yeah. you're seemingly fighting a battle that you mm-hmm. probably going to lose? Oh, totally. I mean, to- a lot of it is you know getting people on board with it. A lot of it is laying groundwork for the next candidate to right. be able to run. But if you think think about it, think of how many people lost jobs in 2020. Yeah, it's incredible that someone would have, you know, run such a great campaign, be a great candidate, you know, no matter where you you fall on the political spectrum, have, you know, she was a great person in Mm. and out. You know, I can say that with full confidence. She was a great person. And to be able to give so many people jobs and consistency and something to focus on, even though it was stressful, Mm. (laughs) but to give us something to do, during what happened during you know everything that happened last year and be paying us that that was incredible yeah you know i always wonder do 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 people that work for campaigns do they always do they always have the same um affiliation as the the candidate that they're the same party affiliation as the candidate they're that they're working with or do people like you know take these jobs because it's a job and you're good yeah. at getting a candidate elected, mm-hmm. you know, like how, how much of the, I've always wondered how much of that is a job and how much right. of that is a purpose. Right. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to say too much about that since this was my first campaign. Right. Um, but I will say this, that I wouldn't be able to have worked the hours that I did with the passion that I did and the drive that I did mm. if I did not at least respect the candidate. Mm. And that you would know? be probably kind of hard <laughs> if you didn't believe oh, in what yeah. they're pushing to. I mean, how how would I be able to create content every single day that says, hey, this person's great if I didn't believe that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, there, I, there could yeah. be some people that can do that. But who I am as a person at my core, I couldn't do that, which is um, – what gets me excited about doing the social media for my business because I tell people I, you know, I won't do business with you or, you know, maybe I'm not the best person for you if we don't connect at least on some kind of level. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. 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 Can be any. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It can be any any level. Right. Yeah. Kind of have that <laughs> simpatico vibe with the people simpatico. you're working with. Yeah. And, and I get it. You're going to do the best work when you're when you feel like you're helping mm-hmm. uh, a noble cause. Right. Yeah. For sure. What's uh what's the next like what's the next thing after the after the photo business gets gets going? I mean it it's already going obviously, but like what's the what's the projection beyond that? Where do you want to where, like, where do I want to see my business in five years? Yeah, that sure. kind of yeah, sure. <laughs> potential investor over here. <laughs> you know I would love, you know, long-term goal for myself personally is to have self-sufficient sectors of my business, you know, whether... Like different different income funnels? Mm-hmm. Mm. To be able to do that because with that, I will be able to do more philanthropic work, which is something I'm excited about, something, you know, it's been a long history in my life, whether I was involved in the church scene or not. Um, I've always loved volunteering. So being able to help I I don't think many people really think about it this way, but the 
better your business does financially, the more that you can help others financially sure. as well. Um, so I would love to have that system in place. Uh, you know, selfishly, I would love to be able to plan my summers and, you know, in my camper van, just driving from from festival or show to show. I mean, pretty much just going on tour, but not with one specific band, just tour of me covering <laughs> covering music. And you could make a book. You should yeah. make a book. You should, you should go on okay. summer tour. When, when I, that That's when you'll know you've made it, is yes. when you go on summer tour, see a hundred different bands, and yes. just make a coffee table book. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. Or even just make a coffee table book of the, you know, in between the shows, you know, because there's there's so many beautiful places of the country that I've never seen. I've only lived in this little, you know, in the States, I've only lived in Knoxville. Really? Yeah. I've what do you mean lived. in the States? So I, oops, almost knocked your table over. No, you can't do I, that. This I, used to be the kitchen table at our old house. I, I'm getting too excited. You can't knock this thing over. Uh, but you've lived outside the States? Yeah, I lived in South Africa on and off for collectively about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, I did some some mission work over overseas, and I initially went over there for three weeks to, you know, take some pictures, set up social media for some nonprofit or the nonprofit orphanage that I was in, and then I just fell in love with the people there. I fell in love with the kids. I, you know, there was one little girl who. I mean, it's crazy. If you look at pictures of us side by side, she looks like she could be my child. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait, how'd you get uh, connected with this orphanage? Uh, through my church. Okay. Yeah, the church that I used to be a part of. Okay. Um, but even though I'm not necessarily in that, you know, in that church world anymore, I still talk to some of the kids. Like, you know, I was over there in 2013, so. Some of the the little kids are now seventeen, and they're That's messaging crazy. me on Facebook. I'm like, why? Why do you have Facebook? You're five. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And how do you remember me? Right. Yeah. That that blows my mind. That well. So so what was that? What was the what was the uh, South Africa trip like? It, it's yeah. far, and I don't mean trip like one trip down there. I mean like right. you, you obviously spent quite a bit of time down there. Yeah. What so was that whole era like? It was. I mean, it was really difficult, but it was also the best thing I had ever done at the same time. You know, I went, I did one year of college and I had this great setup of working for UT and working for the athletic department, you know, doing videos for highlights, previews, uh, you know, everything for Lady Vols. And I was working with an incredible team there. You know my man, Link Hudson? Oh, of course. Link was who, Link hooked me up with that. Really? My high school had an incredibly advanced journalism department. So I I just gave him my reels from high school and he helped me out and really gave me an opportunity to to get my feet wet. I've met with Link a couple times and and we've not been able to work together on UT stuff, but man, he has got it going on. He he is an incredible human, incredible, Mm. um, just director and over, you know, everything that he does is golden and every, everyone that he has trained is doing incredible things now. Um, yeah. So, so you got over to the university doing some stuff. Yeah. I started out. And that was uh, before South Africa. Yeah, so my freshman year of college, I I really wanted to go to art school. 
you know, like scad no, or something or yeah scad yeah. or you know watkins or something yeah. in nashville yeah. um but link had approached me and said hey if you want to come to ut then you know there's this incredible opportunity here and you could work with pat summit and you know, I always wanted to play for Pat Summit, but I never grew past five two, so I could never play for Pat yeah, Summit. Hell of a point, <laughs> I would have been decent. Decent. <laughs> I needed like thirty pounds on me back then. So how how many uh, how many young girls in East Tennessee wanted to play for Pat Summit growing up? All I of think them? everyone who knew how to dribble a basketball really? thought one day they could play for Pat Summit. Um, but you got an opportunity to work with her? Yes, I did. And after you found out you weren't going to be able to play for her? Yeah. <laughs> after I realized I wasn't going to grow, you know, in the next six months, um, I should probably. <laughs> yeah, I just I loved Pat Summit and I looked up to her, you know, most of my life. So being able to work for her and work alongside a team who respected her the mm. way that they did there. Um, and then a couple months into my freshman year, that's when we all found out that she had Alzheimer's. Mm. So my world kind of crumbled a little bit. I, you know, I was so excited to work with her and, you know, it was kind of like the beginning of the pandemic. You didn't know what was going to happen. Right. You didn't know the future. And, um, I actually talked with Link and he said, I think I overheard you on the phone with your dad talking about your time in South Africa on, you know, a high school mission trip and I think you're passionate about that, and I think you need to pursue that. So I did. I took mm. a year, uh, a gap year between my freshman and sophomore sophomore year of college, and it was really difficult at first because, you know, I the only way I could talk to people was social media, was Facebook. Talk and, to people back here, mm-hmm, back home. Yeah. So I was, you know, constantly seeing posts of my friends moving on and yeah. living the college dream. But then once I got to know the children and the volunteers and the incredible people in South in Africa, South Africa it, I, I probably would have stayed forever if my dad did not physically come there and bring me home. What? <laughs> yeah. That's how that went? Yeah. They, we, I was over there helping set up for a youth mission trip to come over. And my dad was one of the adult like chaperones that came. Mm. So. My mom, my mom was like, "You go and you bring her home. Don't let her stay." So he, you would have stayed. I would have stayed. One hundred percent. What kind of stuff were you doing? So you know, like I said, it started out um, just taking some pictures of either volunteers that came through there because they had long term volunteers, and then there were short term, you know, mission groups from all over the world that would come by, and. I started out just taking pictures for social media, fundraiser kind of stuff. And then it transitioned into, hey, we are trying to renovate this house that's up on the hill. This was a whole big community, you know, basically like a neighborhood, but with a fence around it. Um, so like an expat community or like? Like like there were just different cottages that different families lived in. You know, there was a river in there. There was a preschool. There was a church. There was, you know, different businesses inside of this community for it to be sustainable. Mm. Um, so when I went over there, I, 
you know, was playing with the kids in the preschool some days, and which you know that the children love me. The children flock to me. <laughs> and, My kids love you. <laughs> I love them just as well. <laughs> and yeah, and then I was talking to one of the missionaries over there, and she was explaining to me how some of the kids had never owned a hard copy photograph of themselves. So one day we lined them all up, and I went there and just <laughs> you photo know, boosted just, up. Yeah, and we were able to give each one of them their own hard copy photograph of themselves, as well as family pictures. And after that, that's when I knew that I could do something with photography. I didn't know I could do it well, but I knew I could do something mm. greater than you know, taking a picture of my food at a restaurant and putting it on Instagram. So after doing that, there was a baby house um, or just this house that they were going to renovate to turn into a baby house. What's a baby house? So do you remember like the Dropbox or not Dropbox, um, Blockbuster Dropbox, you know, how you would return your Blockbuster videos or whatever. It's kind of, it's a house like that. So there is a, it's called a baby bin. So you open up this uh, this bin, and if there is a mom who, you know, either cannot financially take care of their child or it's an adoption you know, Dropbox. Yeah, pretty much. So That's somebody outrageous. somebody can give away a their baby. baby. To give them a second chance at life, and because, it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's how the orphanage got their population. Not necessarily, but there was also there was this other facet. So there there were different orphanages over there. Um, so there this one was more of a home. The one that I was working in was more of a home home based caregiving uh, foster situation where families that already you know adults that were married and had their own children would also foster children who needed a home, but inside of this community. So there was this community, and then in addition to that, while I was there, they started renovating this building so that uh, so people could bring, you know, an unwanted child and give them a second chance at life. Uh, because that is absolutely crazy yeah, to me. I mean, I I can tell horror stories. Nothing that I saw personally, thank God, because I don't think I would ever be able to get it out of my brain. But like some of the number one places before that organization, it's called Door of Hope. So before that organization was a thing. The Door of Hope was the baby house? Mm-hmm. Okay. So before that was established, you know, one of the number one places where women would leave their children would be either in the dumpster or the river right outside the hospital. Jesus. So being able to, you know, realize that you can use photography to tell a story that is not that is more than hey I went out with my friends this weekend you know being or hey this this athletic team you know did some cool things and this person scored a touchdown like it is more than that and being able to use photography and videography to do that at such a young age was instrumental in the way that I function now in the way that I run you know the way I run my business, pretty much. Man, that is that's nuts, Jess. <laughs> it is nuts. So, with these baby houses, what was their goal? Like, what did they want to do? They wanted to obviously, obviously, the door of hope. They wanted to, mm-hmm. like you said, um, the these moms felt confident enough 
to leave their kids, mm-hmm. their children yep. with a group that they thought would give said child a better life. Yeah. So there so there was a sensor and a blanket out? inside of this bin. So as soon as a child is placed in was there. Was it anonymous? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intentionally anonymous? Sometimes. I mean, I think maybe there's there might be some stories. Um, I'm not fully sure about this, but there might be some stories of, you know, people who want an open kind of adoption mm, type of situation. Gotcha. But, but okay, sensor and a blanket. Yeah, so, so there's the, sensor and a blanket. The, the kid is that once the door opens, mm-hmm. oh my God, I and can't the, believe we're talking about this. Yeah. So a kid goes in. <laughs> and once a child if, is placed in that bin, mm-hmm. then the sensor alerts the the aunties, if you mm. will, inside the house that there's someone in there. So they come out, you know, they, you know, they do a whole health assessment. They, uh, they have all kinds of, you know, they have a great team of workers and volunteers who make sure that child is okay, that child is healthy, and then take care of it and him or her until there is a family ready to adopt this child. What kind of families were these? Were these local families? Were they overseas families? Um, A little bit of both. While I was there, I know, I think, I think the adoption agency may have put some, some kind of regulations on it because a lot of people outside of South Africa were wanting to adopt children Mm -hmm. and they wanted to, I guess, encourage and promote in-country adoption. So I think they put some kind of limit on Mm. that. I'm not sure if that is still in place or not. Um, But, you know, there are people from all over the world at one time were adopting children from this agency. So did it do its job? Were were these kids finding better homes? Oh, totally. I mean, it's... I I could get (laughs) teary-eyed telling some of the the success stories from it. But yeah, I mean, they're these children, they, I mean, they, they could be anywhere from, you know, infants like born a couple weeks ago to, you know, sometimes it takes longer for a family to, or to match make with the family. Um, so if the child would age out of the baby house, then they could come down to where we were, uh, it was called Rafilway, and now it's called Live Land Syria. Um, but they could move on to a foster care program down the road. Mm. What kind of like socioeconomic landscape was it? Where the, I was or yeah, just in the where country? Where you were in South Africa. Yeah, it was – I mean, it wasn't too bad where I was. Um Everybody had basic needs met? Yes. Okay. Yes. In in our community, everyone had physical basic needs met. You know, some, you know, some people would need more, um, you know, just more love and care and more attention just because of past story, uh, you know, their past. Um, but that's, that's what was so great about being a volunteer is you just have so much love and, <laughs> and you yeah. just genuinely care about these kids and want the best for them. So you're willing to do whatever it takes to provide that for them within your own needs as well. You um, felt like, felt like you were helping. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think so. I hope so. Heck yeah. If they can remember me and send me a Facebook message. 15 years later, <laughs> yeah. then so, that's, 
That's pretty wild. So your dad came down and got you and brought you home? Yeah, he did. <laughs> He's like, no more of this adoption shit. You're coming home with me. <laughs> I mean... I think they were afraid, uh, not afraid, but they, my parents thought I was going to bring a child home. And oh, uh, I probably, gotcha. I probably would have. Really? You know, if legal, <laughs> if, if it wasn't so tricky, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but the child that I would have brought home also has three siblings, three older siblings. They don't and like to I, split them up, do, do they? Well, I wouldn't have wanted to split them up. Yeah. And I knew that at the time that, 19, 20 years old, I could not financially take care of <laughs> four children. So, um, but yeah, I mean, South Africa was a huge instrumental part into what I do now and my future because I, when I came home, I started studying social work. Mm. And I've always looked at, I think more people need to look at choosing your college major, not as hey, I want to do this career for the rest of my life and this linear path. I think more people need to look at it in the from the mindset of, okay, what skills do I want to pay a lot of money to learn that I can take with me into whatever I do in the mm. future? And for me, that was social work. That For me, that was learning to be an empathetic. I mean, I was already pretty empathetic, but... <laughs> That's get, a soft skill. Get better. Get better at it. You know, being able to resource and genuinely help people be able to uh, care for people and find out what kind of needs they need met. Um, and I think being able to have those skill that skill set to be, you know, a pretty, pretty decent human, if I say so myself. I, I, I'll, I'll say it too. <laughs> to be a pretty decent human, be able to combine that with the technical experience I have and really create this this merge of awesome team, genuine people that want to help you do whatever you need. Hmm. Makes good sense. And, and it's <laughs> noble. It? I mean, it does. It does to me. I'm glad I finally figured it out. <laughs> and what, what happened after you got back from South Africa? Did it? I did, cried a lot. Really? I cried a lot. I was so did sad. Did you miss too. everybody? Oh, yeah. I missed, you know, every, you don't think about it, but the whole, the town changed, you know, the atmosphere changed. The town? The, Knoxville changed, you know, just different businesses came and gone. Oh, you uh -huh. mean while you were there, it was a different world when you got back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a completely different well, world. Well, and you were a different person back. too. Like, it, yeah. you had a different purpose in life. Yeah. Seems like. For sure. So pretty, pretty quickly after I got home, I missed having somebody to, you know, take care of and really? love on. So I got a dog. <laughs> started. Is that when the social work stuff started too? after you got back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For trying to figure out a way to get back into taking care of people who need it. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say I wouldn't frame it as taking care of people who need it more of just having the skills and the patience and the understanding to talk to people and really hear what they're saying and really hear what their needs are, whether mm. it's socially, emotionally, physically, right. or, you know, even in business. <laughs> well, and, and matchmaking their emotional needs, either with mm -hmm. your own receptors of, yeah. of, of emotional <laughs> needs or helping them find it elsewhere too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
That's interesting. I mean, I loved, I think everybody should take a couple of courses from the social work program. I think those need to be prerequisites really? instead, every, of, instead of English and math and I algebra. I mean, some, pe- some people need English. All right, let's be real. Yeah. If you, if you don't what? know yours and your and there, there, and there, and all those things by now, then you need English in college. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? I always gave up. Uh, uh, the last football coach, uh, Jeremy Pruitt. I was like, mm-hmm. um, so you're telling me the highest paid uh, state employee in the state of Tennessee doesn't know the difference between did and done? <laughs> he done good on the field today. So, really? How many oh million gosh. dollars a year you make and you don't know your you don't know English? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a mess. But again, uh, twelve hundred. Uh, uh, 12,472 days without using algebra. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Hey, I think you've probably used it more than you think. Yeah, I like woodworking and stuff like that. Yeah. I do proportions a lot in my head. Well, I'm sure too with, you know, video editing and resizing stuff. You've got to, you got to do some kind of math in oh, there. Yeah. Some I, kind of pixel math. Yeah, whether I you guess. realize it or not. Yeah, the ISO, the the <laughs> yes. ISO stuff. That's, 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 where, that's where it gets me. Got to solve for X. X sometimes. Oh, totally. Well, what else is what else is good? Like with the with your business and 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 with the artist stuff and and all that with your you know artist management. Something I've heard you talk mm-hmm. about too. Yeah. What's that scene? Yeah, I. Like? You know, it is so new. The just being able to even think about adding that onto my business, artist management. You know, I don't want. I'm not the person that is wanting to create something to compete with other businesses around town. You know, there are some incredible production companies and stuff. What I want to do is I want to have a conversation with artists and mostly musicians. I, I would love to also work with, you know, any kind of artists, mural artists, photographers, but that's, that's probably way down the road. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I can't scale that. But that's okay. Yes. I, I think really big all the time. (laughs) And I think I was probably just tired of nobody appreciate, not, not nobody appreciating, but wanting this dream job where I can, you know, piddle in these, (laughs) these different aspects and do this bookend type of work. And, um, so I just created it myself. So I I say bookend, you know, you think about a, you know, a book cover, a bookend, Mm. You've got the beginning of the project, you got the spine of the project, and you've got the, you know, the back cover of it. I I've always been a bookend thinker. I've, so I you don't, think in verticals, like you want to do the whole thing. You don't just want to do a sliver of the whole project. You want to do the whole project. I want to do the beginning. I want to, you know, make sure everything is well taken care of in the middle and wrap it up. So mm. no matter what we do. No matter what my business turns into, at the moment, I, I want to bookend with my clients. So I want to be there during you know, the initial meeting. I want to get to learn what they need. Mm. I want to oversee what happens in the middle, and then I want to deliver it to the client and make sure you know, everything's good. So I've always had this bookend thinking. I've, I don't, Is that a con- are you a control freak? I wouldn't, I wouldn't no? say I'm a control freak. No. I. I think I just work the way that my brain works. I have five gazillion tabs open in my brain at all times. So I think 
that by being able to do a lot, I just, I really do well with ideas on the front end and then making sure those ideas were executed throughout the project. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a, a need for control then. Oh, it's no. just a, no. maybe a, um, like a guidance. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think you want to feel purpose or something. You yeah. want to, you want to feel engaged in a project and not just like work for hire. Mm-hmm. Like here I am doing a thing, right? but rather mm-hmm. my work meant something. Yes. Because for it, sure. Yeah. So I got to yeah. see how it turned out. Yes. Maybe even affected how it turned <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I don't feel like there are many, I don't know. I don't think there are many jobs where you get to do that kind of bookend process unless you create your own job. Yeah. Our production company does that. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of work, man. (laughs) It's crazy. Like the the, the breadcrumbs that that happen for a project to start. Yeah. And then like the remnants after it's over. Uh And it's like, oh my God, like... That took forever. Yes. That took so much work. <laughs> we did so many things. Yes. I love the breadcrumbs. Like, I'm freaking Hansel and Gretel. You know, I, I got my bag. I'm like, all right, here's an idea, whether you wanted it or not. Here's another one. Just dropping them all over the place. <laughs> That's good. Well, what, what's the, um, like, what's your workload like now as far as going to photograph concerts? You were talking to me about some uh, open mics that happen around yes. town. Yes. What's that? I adore the open mic scene here in Knoxville. I don't know anything about it. So there's a man named Chris Marshall. He's incredible. He orchestrates, you know, all of these jam open mic sessions. And there are a lot of other people in town that do it too, but I primarily go to these jams. Um, They happen at Union Place and Union Jacks on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Respectively? So, so, so Tuesdays, Tuesdays at Union Place, Tuesdays at Union Place, Saturday at Union, Saturday Jacks. at Union Jacks, yes. two of my favorite places in America, by yes. the way. I love it. I love the outdoor, I, you know, just the outdoor vibe of Union Place. I love the camaraderie at Union Jacks and where's the, but, uh, where are they setting up the stage at Union Jacks outside or inside? Outside. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Did, have you, you gotta go. did you ever go to Union Jacks before it got remodeled? No, the first time I went to Union Jacks was like a couple, you know, a couple months ago when I started really, really just pondering the idea of adding artist management. And I said, well, maybe I need to talk to some artists and see if that's even something, you know, there's a need for it. Because what I don't right. want to happen, I don't want to say, hey, I don't want to try and turn Knoxville into Nashville. I want to meet people where they're at. What do you mean by that? I mean, I don't want You don't want, want to make it shiny and, and cowboy hat and who looks the prettiest and yeah, all that? Yeah, you, if you catch me in a cowboy hat or in some cowboy boots. Slap you, say, yes, wake up. Say, get the hell back to Knoxville. <laughs> I know you're go in there put, somewhere, Jess. Go put your Chacos and your vans back on and <laughs> <laughs> your white vans that have holes in them. But, but yeah, like, I, I just mean, I, I appreciate the music scene here in Knoxville probably more than I can actually express. Mm. And I don't, what I don't want to happen is for my business to take on artist management and bookings. And then every time I show up at, you know, an open mic, they're just like, Oh, there's, there's Jess. She's, (laughs) she's just here to try and get business out of us. Like I want this camaraderie, yeah, to stay in place. And yeah. that's what I mean. I don't want Knoxville to turn into Nashville. I get, yeah. I get that. I think. I think you I get think, it. You think you get well, it. Well, <laughs> I think so. I, I think that you want to 
maintain your advocacy for the scene Mm -hmm. and not become someone who's seemingly trying to exploit it. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So just going to these open mic nights, talking with artists, hey, is this something you would be interested in? Like, how can I meet you where you're at and help you do whatever it is you want to do without this feeling like a business relationship Mm. or without this feeling like I'm just trying to, you know, get you to book me for stuff or, you know what I mean? I talked to, I I talked to, when I lived in LA, my, my um, boss, he owned a, he owned a production company called the Greif company Mm -hmm. and we made like A&E biographies and we made a reality show called Gene Simmons Family Jewels with with Gene Simmons, and we made all all of this, you know, all, all these television shows, and and this is like stuff that, as a like a a film dude or as someone who appreciates the process and the art, it's like that's not something that you really maybe necessarily would be super proud of as an artist. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed making it, right, and. Uh, the, the guy who owned the company, his, his father was an old music industry dude, worked for like RCA or something like that. He was high up executive. And, and I told him a lot, very similar to what you just told me, like, here's how I picture the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's something where people are willing to, to put it all out there, but also do, um, do right by each other to try to, to try to bolster the the scene for everybody. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person he'd ever met in his <laughs> life. And he was like, man, if you're not, if you don't see a way to make money in this business, mm-hmm. then you're not doing it right. Right. And it broke my heart mm-hmm. to hear that. Um, and I'm, I'm almost glad that he told me that b- because it, I think it made me realize what a cutthroat kind of world the music industry can be. Oh yeah, and especially with promotions and and this was post Napster. This was like mm-hmm. two thousand three. This is whenever you know album <laughs> sales were down and all that. But he was like, "Man, don't even get into the business unless you are willing to, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much do whatever it takes to make a dollar." Yeah, and I think yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think there's something to be said about you know, as a business, you're there to make money. Right. But as a human and as an individual, you at least this is my perspective. I'm there to support every single person that takes the mic, whether I like it or not. I'm there to support, you know, the growth, their personal growth. I'm there to support them as humans. And if there is a way I can do that through my business, I would love that. If not, then I am still going to be a cheerleader. I'm still going to be the obnoxious person that's there cheering for my friends. In your white vans. (laughs) Yes, in my dirty white vans. You're not an artist unless you've got some dirty white vans. I need some. Yes, (laughs) go get some. (laughs) Man, I loved mine. They've like some high tops. They were weatherproof. So you can wear them in the snow, in the rain, like. For I mean, years. Yeah. I mean, I can't now because there's holes in them. So but how are we doing? What else we got? Did we have we missed some huge stuff? Have we gotten it all? I don't know. I don't know either. Man. I mean, yeah, I could talk forever. I could ben too. Fields. We, I know. we could do this all day. I know. I know. <laughs> all night. Well, I, I just uh, I've been, you know, since I met you, I've been super um 
I don't know. I felt this like every time you do something new and do something great, I felt so proud because I know you and because I've seen how hard that you've worked to make a lot of this stuff happen. And you've done it for seemingly to me the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I'm so happy to see, to see it (laughs) coming to a head here and, and to, to see some, you know, to see some real growth that you feel like is is meaningful and moving the needle for you. I'm really oh proud goodness. and happy. Where are the tissues? I wasn't I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared for people to. I wasn't I wasn't well, ready. People notice, man. People notice when 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 you're working hard and when you're following your passion and also mm-hmm. providing a service to the community, which I think you're doing all three of those things. And I mean, if I'm not, then somebody needs to let me know because <laughs> I I think. I'm trying really hard to be, to not just be another company. I'm trying incredibly hard to be a business that supports you, whatever your task is in our wheelhouse, whatever we can do. I just, I genuinely care about each person <laughs> and probably too much and probably too much for strangers. Well, I, th- I, th- I, th- <laughs> I think it's uh I think it's probably, you know, a, a lot of probably takes some convincing uh, to to make people understand that that's the right way to approach business. Mm-hmm. People who are bottom line oriented. Yeah. But I think in the long term, that mindset wins out. I hope so. Because if not, then I've, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, you have to turn into an asshole like everybody I else. I know. God, I I have I don't dreams. Think you've got it in you. I have dreams about being an asshole. Like there's so many times where I just want to go off and yell at somebody, but I just can't. Yeah, that's good, man. I think uh, again, <sighs> long term, <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> Jess, you want to come back and do this again sometime? Yes, please. Thanks for doing it this time. <laughs> Thank you I for really having me. It. I'm happy to talk about anything. I I still think that. One of your daughters and I need need an episode. <laughs> okay. You guys want to podcast together? Yes, totally. Okay. Both of them. Or individually well, might work. <laughs> why don't why don't you come over sometime? You can uh you can sit down in here with them. Me and okay. Sarah will go go uh Perfect. Go have dinner. <laughs> Perfect. It'll be like a work trade. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jess, thanks for doing it. No, thank It's great to see you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank I'm happy you. to be here anytime you need. All right. There it is. There it was. There it happened. Don't forget to uh, check out Jess's Instagram at Jess Maples Photography and uh, our Instagram at South of Scruffy to check in on that giveaway, the print in the shirt or onesie. Love you guys and thank you for being here. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Be good or bad. Whatever. Just be kind. Pitchwire. Play me out. <laughs>